This is the Worker Experience, a podcast that's speaking directly to employees. Hosted by Edgar Jatu, Executive Director of Workplace Fairness, an advocacy organization that developed and maintains the number one free online resource for workers' rights information. Let's get to work. This is the Worker Experience, a podcast that's speaking directly to employees, hosted by me, Edgar Jatu, Executive Director at Workplace Fairness. Today, we are joined by Victoria Kirby York, who is the Deputy Executive Director of the National Black Justice Coalition. In this capacity, she is responsible for managing the operational policies and efficiencies of the organization strengthening the organization's grassroots constituency engagement efforts and leading the advocacy and action agenda. Thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us today. And why don't you start off by introducing yourself and also the work that your organization does. Awesome, thank you so much for having me. I am Victoria Kirby York, the Deputy Executive Director at the National Black Justice Coalition. I got my start uh, professionally working in um, party politics, working to reelect President Barack Obama, working on governors, state and local races across the state of Florida. And in 2015, early 2015, um, decided to make a career change um, to do deeper on what was for me more meaningful um, movement work. Um, specifically focused on racial justice in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I spent several years at the National LGBTQ Task Force, getting close to two years ago. I joined the team at MBJC formally. I've long been an admirer and a part of the MBJC family, uh, working to support the civil rights and protections of Black LGBTQ plus and same gender loving people across the country. Um, our organization works on federal public policy. We have an HIV AIDS awareness campaign um, that we're about to double down on specifically in faith communities across the country to help end the HIV epidemic once and for all. We also um, do a ton of work with young people including giving out free therapy sessions for folks who aren't able to um, have access to therapy any other way. And we work in all, a ton of different partnerships and collaborations on a number of issues that we know are incredibly important to our community because of disparities and homelessness and housing more generally and healthcare and the workplace as we're gonna talk about today um, and in so many other areas of life. So we always say we're a small but mighty organization and we're always punching above our weight, trying to do what's needed to ensure our community doesn't fall between the cracks. Awesome, Victoria. Thank you so much for sharing that. And part of what we're trying to do this month at Workplace Fairness is to highlight um, some of the gains in the gains in society and also the continuing struggles that um, transgender women of color are facing. Um, so maybe can you maybe talk to us about some of the um, gains that you've seen um, transgender women of color experience, but also maybe some of the challenges they're still experiencing in society. Yes, 
Um, one of the biggest gains came a couple years ago with the Bostock US Supreme Court decision, which interpreted sex in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include sex stereotyping of LGBTQ plus people. And that for the first time explicitly federally across you know, all 50 states, territories, et cetera, gave protections to transgender women in addition to other members of our community. That was a game changer because before then there were you know, 20 plus states in this country where you can be fired just for being who you are and have no opportunity to fight back. So the Bostock decision at least gave um, tr Black trans women especially who deal with employment discrimination on a number of factors, right? Being Black, being women, being transgender, to be able to take their case to federal court, to the EEOC, which um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to be able to, to show their, their receipts, as we say, um, regarding what's happened to them um, in employment and, and to get restitution. So that was a, a huge kind of shift in the landscape, making moving us from being powerless in those situations to having a pathway forward. We've also seen a number of companies take a lot more proactive measures to ensure transgender employees are recruited and retained and have the same um, access to healthcare as any other um, set of employees. That's been a slow, gradual process, but we've started to see it happen at a more increased pace because of the Bostock decision in part, uh, because companies are dotting their I's and crossing their T's and making sure that there's little room for anyone to, to say that they've experienced discrimination at their companies. Nobody wants that smoke, you know? So. <laughs> right, right. So they try to make sure that they're doing the right things. We've also seen um, some hardships, sadly, where you do see um, Black trans women, especially when they're girls in middle and high school who've been kicked out of their homes. Black kids in our community still make up a disproportionate share of homeless youth. We represent 30% of the homeless youth population and we're less than 5% of the youth population. And so it's a, you know, it's a huge disparity. And it, it's too often because parents um, have said, if you're gonna be trans, you can't live in my house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so initially youth will couch surf, but you can only stay on your friend's parents' couch for so long right. before your parents starts to say, I can't afford to feed an extra mouth <laughs> until graduation. And so that it starts our kids off with an unfair disadvantage where they, if they graduate under those circumstances, trying to make it to school, living in homeless shelters or on the streets, if they graduate or get their GED, trying to find a job, trying to find a place to live, uh, and too many are able to finance a place to live by doing sex work because they're too, you know, there's less jobs today, it seems, uh, because of the economy than there was when, when we were coming up for a 15 or 16 year old to get their first job experience. You know, when I was 15, I worked at the local, you know, park and recreation center, mm -hmm. you know, 
that was my first, you know, one of my first jobs, you know, or I helped work at my mom's law firm. She was a paralegal and I would help sort papers and they'd give me a nice check, you know, <laughs> to help oh. out. But if you're disconnected from community, especially your parents, right? That working at your mom's job to do a little bit over here is no longer an option for you. So, so you, you know, these kids are, sadly forced to sell their bodies in some instances um, for sex work or other forms of labor in order to um, survive, in order to try to have a place to live, in order to um, be able to feed themselves until they're able to try to find work somewhere else. And depending on how the economy is doing at any given time, it's even harder. Right, and right. One of the, the reasons it's important for companies to think about how they approach their applicant pool uh, when it comes to trans applicants is, is their resume is not going to look the same as someone who had the kind of familial support that I had and being able to work and go to school and build up a resume. You know, they might have been doing some work, but it's not going to be more often under the table kind of work, gig economy kind of work mm -hmm. that is sometimes harder to translate in a resume or even in a, a work experience section, the way that it's commonly set up. That makes a lot of sense. And Detroit, thank you so much for sharing the perspective. And you've raised so many other questions that I want to um, delve into with you. And I think the first one is, you know, as you aptly put, how society affects, you know, the workplace is so palpable, particularly when it comes to transgender uh, women of color or, or, or people of color getting jobs. And so one question I have for you is, and you, from your perspective, how can we cultivate affirming spaces um, in society and at work so that um, transgender youth of color can be able to get gainful employment, even in the bad economy? Um, partnering with trans organizations and Black organizations and organizations like ours that exist at the intersection for job fairs is one really big way to li live out those values. So if you're a company that says, you know, we believe in having a trans-inclusive workspace, the base best way to show it is is by ensuring there are events to or or ways that you're recruiting people to to apply. It's like when a corporation, you know, I'm an HBCU grad. I went to Howard twice for undergrad for my master's. Very nice. So, very nice. You know. So when <laughs> so when so when a comp a corporation will say, well, there were no black applicants. Right. I always roll my eyes because I'm like, you aren't going where black folks are. You can set up shop at any of the 109 HBCUs in this country and you're going to find you some talented applicants. That's easy. Right. right? So the question is, like, how are you? Where are you looking? <laughs> you know, people have to know who you are and what you're about and know that you're serious. So the same things goes for the trans community. You say you about that life, you're a company that values inclusion of all kinds of gender experiences, then where are you showing up at? Right. Are you showing up on the corner where you know the girls congregate, you know, right. in your in your community? 
Are you showing up at, you know, the trans community center or trans night programming to say, hey, you know, we're hiring at our organization. We got these positions available. Um, the other way people tell how you're, um, if you're serious about it, is on your forms. When people go to apply, how do you have your questions set up? Right. Do you have sex and gender you know, um, options that are inclusive of their experiences. You know, there's some trans people that do identify wholly as male or wholly as female. And there's some who identify as non-binary trans, right? Just like there's cisgender people who identify as non-binary, even though it's harder to tell. Um, So, you know, those kinds of things are important. Same thing with having an intersex option under sex. Intersex people have existed since the beginning of time, you know, (laughs) people who are born with different chromosomes or other biological markers that are mixed. And there are some jobs where it doesn't matter, but if you're going to put sex, have a sex question on an application, it gives you pause to find out, does it really, do you, like, for what purpose are you asking the questions on your application form, right? right? Mm -hmm. Speaking of application forms, the other piece is around um, the box, as we call it, you know, asking people whether or not they've had, you know, a felony or misdemeanor in the past. You know, as I described earlier, when you've been kicked out of your house since you were 13, 14 years old on the street trying to survive, it's very likely that you've caught a charge stealing Mm -hmm. some food, doing sex work, being, you know, put behind bars for a few days because, you know, you were caught with the John, et cetera. So when you put that box on there, it's not hard. It's it's harmful for Black folks in general, Mm -hmm. but it's especially harmful for Black trans and non-binary folks. And anyone who's came up in in an impoverished situation, because you are more likely than not having had to make some really hard decisions to make sure you don't starve yourself to death. So, you know, those are some of the things that sometimes we push employers, you know, to ban the box. Don't, yeah. don't ask the question in the application, give people an equal chance to interview and to, to sell you on who they are as a candidate. And then if it's important to the job, the role that that person has, you know, their criminal background, ask it on the back end after you've given people a fair shot to like prove their case, don't cut the opportunity off from people from jump. You know, so those are some of the things that employers can do to show that they, that they really mean it. Having healthcare options that are um, trans inclusive, that include gender affirming care, making sure Mm -hmm. that the insurance company you go with, you know, allows for um, hormone therapy, replacement therapy. That's good for all kinds of people. Right. It's good for trans folks. It's also good for cis folks for different reasons, right. you know. Right. So you make sure that those policies are there or, you know, gender reassignment surgery, um, sex reassignment surgery. Those things are, um, are really important in terms of the mental health of trans employees. Um, having encouraging employees to put their pronouns and their email signature. Mm-hmm. Again, something that's not just helpful for trans people, but helpful for everybody. We're in a more informal society. When I was coming up, you called everybody Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. <laughs> So-and-so. So, you know, they were gendered from jump. 
you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you were talking to a jamie williams and their email signature had mr jamie williams you knew you was talking to a dude right, right. We're in a more formal, informal society now. So we're just like, hey, Jamie, I need X and X done. So how you gonna know if Jamie's a man, woman, non-binary? You don't right. know. Right. So pronouns right. help everybody, um, but it's especially helpful for people um, who it's, it's, it's harder to tell their gender from looking. You know, I always also like to include cancer survivors. You know, how embarrassing is it to misgender someone who's lost all their hair because of cancer. Mm -hmm. Save yourself the embarrassment, like share your pronouns, never assume anything about anybody, learn their pronouns and to the best of your ability, use them. Yeah, well, Victoria, you just, you just provide some awesome advice for employers and thank you so much for being so comprehensive. I mean, there's a lot of golden nuggets in there um, that, you, that you, you put out there. And I guess another question I have for you is, you talk a lot about the skills gap that a lot of transgender youth might have, particularly in um, the sub-second modest communities, such as um, people of color. So I guess the question I have for you is, what advice do you have for transgender youth, particularly in minority communities, in terms of helping them get the skills they need so that they can confidently enter the labor force? Sure. Young trans people who are looking to figure out how to transition into the workplace uh, should consider a couple things. One, internship opportunities. All internship opportunities don't require a college degree or for you to be in college. Many do, but there are some opportunities um, that allow you to get your, your feet wet. There are also union trade programs where you can uh, join SCIU or UFCW or the Communication Workers of America. You know, there are a whole lot of different unions. My dad is a machinist. There's a union oh, from awesome. where you can, you know, join one of their trade training programs, uh, apprentice programs is the word I've been, I was searching for, where they will um, compensate you as they train you in one of these trades. And so it's it's a similar education to what you might get at a trade school, but you're getting compensated um, while you're going through some of these programs. And so that's one option that I encourage people to look into. I know that I always forget the full acronym. I think it's like IAPAT, but the Painters Union. Okay. Um, they they ha I learned about one of their apprentice programs and I was just like, oh, wow, that's neat. You know, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know about that in high school, you know, so sharing those kind of programs out is, is really helpful. You can also um, link up with a mentor, someone who's doing the kind of work that you want to do. Don't give up on your dreams. If there's something you always said, I want to be that when I grow older and then life, you know, sent you curveballs create a game plan or a vision board or, you know, whatever is helpful for you that allows you to visualize the steps needed to get you from where you are today to where you want to be. Sadly, some of the best opportunities don't pay you. And so sometimes mm -hmm. it requires you to do some work on the free and then find a, another job that maybe you don't love, but will give you the money you need to survive um, at the same time. 
um, or it might be, a, you know, a job that'll have the health care you need to survive along with right. the paycheck, you know, while right. you're, you know, interning and, you know, getting or volunteering to, to build the relationships and experience you need for the job you really want. Um, maybe it's, you know, finding a scholarship program that'll pay for you to go to school. Um, there's a program called the Point Scholarship Fund that has scholarships specifically for LGBTQ students. And there are a whole host of scholarships for like no reason out there <laughs> that I discovered. <laughs> I worked as the program manager for a program, a nonprofit called the Scholarship Academy that's still in existence today. Um, the founder um, was a, a Howard alum who graduated from the same honors program I did, Jessica okay. John. You know, she she showed me there are scholarships out there for being born left-handed or being born with <laughs> There are scholarships out there just because you came from your hometown. There are scholarships from Divine Nine groups or scholarships in the field you want to go into. There are scholarships that are like alumni specific programs at the university called donor scholarships that they don't often advertise that well. So right. whoever asks about it gets it kind of thing, but you have to know to ask about it, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and if there's some scholarships, all you have to do is write a little essay and you would think a whole bunch of people would apply for it and you find out you are the only one that applies. So guess what? You got that $500 and 500 bucks adds up over time, you know, here and there. So I, I do recommend looking at scholarships. The big ones are, are huge, you know, like the Coca-Cola and the Bill Gates scholarship programs. But there are right. some smaller ones, you know, that you can pull together $500 here, $1,500 there. Um, and, and they add up pretty nicely. Awesome, awesome. Victoria, thank you so much for providing that excellent information and we'll definitely try to share some of those resources in the show notes and on our website. Really at this point, um, do you have any other thoughts or perspectives on how to continue the work to advocate for, for transgender individuals, particularly transgender people of color? Definitely. Um, one of the pieces of advice I like to give is around transitioning in the workplace. It's one of the reasons why I can't wait to introduce our other guest, Kyler Broadus, because he and so many trans elders um, like him navigated this in a, a, a far less welcoming time um, and can, can talk more from personal experience about how they navigated it. But in terms of best practices that we talk to companies about, it's figuring out ways to make sure your employees don't feel otherized, to provide you know, ongoing training, just like you do for um, other types of cultural competency trainings, to have employee resource groups that can help and support, and to, to make sure that, there's, that you don't otherize people right, throughout the right. transition process. I like to talk about it in concert as a person changing their name um, because they have recently gotten married or changing their image, you know, as people do because of either drastic weight loss program or someone has changed their hairstyle, which, you know, as, as a black woman, you know, we change our hair all the time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I come to work one day with hair down my back, the next day with 
Sure, right? So, <laughs> I think Victoria, I'm on. Hi, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt your illustrious uh, hair story. So, <laughs> no problem. We are so glad to have our special guest on, Kyler Broadus. He's a legend and an icon. NBJC was thrilled to be able to honor him last year with the James Baldwin Legacy Award. Kyler has been a longtime leader in racial justice spaces and also in the LGBTQ movement, and especially at the intersection of the Black LGBTQ plus and same gender loving movements. Um, Kyler is an attorney by training, um, an excellent one at that, um, and has you know, been one of the first uh, trans leaders to speak before Congress and to really help advocate for the Black transgender community before there were all these various grassroots groups around the country, Kyler was helping to form some of the earliest advocacy organizations, um, helping to improve lives for the trans community. So I'm really glad to welcome you onto the show. Well, and thank you, sister. Thank you. And I'm glad that this show is focusing on uh, how to support trans folks and that's a very important thing and we still have to do that work and I still do that work every day because it's so important and thanks I was listening to you as I was trying to get my microphone on and uh, I was stuck in a courtroom but like I said the work continues every day well Kyler thank, yeah, Kyler thank you so much for joining us and sorry thank you for introducing him so Kyler why don't you maybe give us some um perspective on, on your life's work and particularly when it comes to advocating for transgender individuals well, you know, it is an everyday thing. And, and Victoria is right. When I came out, there were a few of us that were out and visible. We changed the landscape of, of hiding within the culture to being visible in the culture because it was about not letting anybody take your truth away. And that's very important because then you're living a lie still. And I'm not judging other people for how they want to live, but I knew that I needed to live the truth every single day. And this is my truth. And it's other people's problem that they can't live with my truth, but I can live with my truth and be happy. Once I did that, I saw that other people were happy and what, no matter what, what their race was, they were happy to be set free and not living on SSI social security disability just because they were trans mm -hmm. and that they could live a productive life and be a part of society and do whatever they wanted to in society and that's it transness didn't make you disabled but back in the day when i came out that was the stigma attached to it mm -hmm. is that it made you disabled and sadly i still see that stigma attached to it for a lot of people as we regress and as you see people attacking trans people as if we're not human, as if we're mm -hmm. not people. So reminding people that we are people, we're your kinfolk, we're your friendfolk, we're your everybody. I was a professor and students loved me uh, once then they were like, wow, it just doesn't matter. And that's the whole point when people right, get to right. that point, it just doesn't matter. But things that, you know, Victoria was saying that, you know, I do very much, I still do trainings in the workplace 
and educating people too. It's about everyone's liberation. When trans mm -hmm. people are free, all people are free. Just like when black people are free, all people are free. Yeah. And helping uh, black people understand that it's not about, you know, cause I'm very much black every day, all day and get the whole trans liberation thing or and black liberation things and our oppressions are different. But when you layer them together, it's a hard road mm -hmm. for black trans people because we have our blackness and then our transness layered on top of each other, which makes a double burden and then a triple burden if you're disabled, you know? And um, so it makes our lives harder and it makes our lives more difficult. But there are a lot of things that we can do individually, but collectively as a society, people educating themselves about transness, about blackness, can make everybody's lives better in the trans world. And Victoria was saying one of those and the employee resource groups are great, but if the company doesn't support those employee resource groups to give them enough money to do the work, to bring people like me in to support the culture at work, then it still doesn't work and it still fails because the company isn't creating employee resource groups, but they're not providing the funding for the employee resource groups to do the work they need to do inside. Well, thank you so much for that. Now, Victoria mentioned in terms of transgender rights in the workplace transitioning, and we had a pretty good conversation about that, but from your perspective, what would you say would, is the next frontier in terms of transgender rights, whether it's in the workplace or in society? Well, I think it, uh, you know, very much what happens in society moves legislation. It moves what happens in the workplace. Right. And there's not been a general acceptance still of trans people in society. We, st we are visible, but visibility doesn't necessarily bring rights. We see that in every other movement. We still saw that, we see that in the black movement. We're visible. But does that bring us rights, uh, you know, where we still have lost the voters, uh, the uh, Voting Rights Act, mm -hmm. you know, which was granted over 50 years ago. We're still, still trying to push to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act back, you know, right. that was, you know, and so, you know, we're very visible in society. So are trans people. Trans people are very objectified uh, in society. They're very sexualized, you know. People will ask me questions and have me on, and I used to be more in the political world, and we'd be talking about political candidates, and then at the end of that, they would ask about my parts, and that would throw me for mm. a loop. It's like, yeah. uh, what does that have to do with this political candidate? And that you have the audacity to ask me about my body parts, and I would always have to be ready for that question, and I have good responses to that stuff now. We still do that. You know, even the people that are in Hollywood they are objectified as trans people, not as human beings are looked upon as other stars. And so we have to make people aware, we have to fight back and advise them that, hey, it's not okay to do that. And we can't be passive to rehash a saying that we always say, because if we're complicit in it, then we are a part of it. People uh, don't necessarily like me, but you don't have to like me if your politics don't work for me, because I'm going to tell you about it. And so uh, that's always my thing. 
-hmm. is you you're always going to hear the truth from me and people don't like the truth but you will hear the truth from me and apparently we've gotten into society where people would rather hear myths and untruth than the truth so Mm -hmm. you know that Mm -hmm. doesn't make me a very popular person but Tyler doesn't (laughs) care because you will always hear the truth from me and that lets me sleep at night and that lets me be me happily be me and that's why I love Tyler I don't like (laughs) you you know (laughs) I like you I surround myself with you Tyler because exactly you know we we live in a country where it's polite to tell a lie right and that's why we're still dealing with the truth of the civil war or war between the states 150 Mm. plus years later because people still would rather believe in a lie than to interrogate the truth and the impacts yeah. of it. Right, and we deal with that within the LGBT movement, which is why people, it's like, yeah, put me on a panel, I'm gonna tell you the truth. You know, yeah. there's racism within the movement, there's transphobia mm-hmm. within the movement. And mm-hmm. it's like, so people would prefer, it's like, well, but nope, you've invited me. So I'm gonna tell the truth. I'm not gonna <laughs> tell what you would like to pleasantly hear. I'm <laughs> gonna tell you what is the truth. That's why we're just celebrating Juneteenth and people don't even know what they're celebrating. But it's a joyous day for us that people are acknowledging what Juneteenth is. And I can remember us singing Lift Every Voice, the Black American National Anthem, because July the 4th is not our Emancipation Day Mm -hmm. because we were not emancipated. We were too busy building the White House. (laughs) <laughs> by, stone by stone so and people don't want to hear that and then after we got done building it we we're too busy serving in it and I, I don't mean as the president I mean as the servants people don't ever like to hear that truth but that's the truth you're going to hear from this, this trans person right over here this black <laughs> trans person because I'm a black man who happens to have come there through trans experience and yeah. that's the way I live my life and that's the way it should be It's like, that's how I identify and that's who I am. Through those lenses is how I see this world and through that experience is how I'll share this world. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that, um, for for that perspective. And I guess the final question I have for both of you is there's so much happening right now when it comes to the rights of African-Americans, the rights of transgender Americans and, and the intersectionality of both of those identities, right, in this country right now. So what is your parting advice to other employers or employees about how, how to have these difficult conversations um, at work? Because as we know, what happens in society, you know, whether it's the you know, last night sports game or politics, whatever it is, it, it tends to come up you know, in conversation at work. So how, how does one navigate those conversations, particularly if you're in that intersectionality of being Black and trans? Creating space for employees to come together to have conversations when these things happen, I think is important. Even if everyone doesn't agree or have the same perspective, having space to talk about it, to be challenged and to happen and play out uh, is important. I, I think um, having experienced what was called Think Labs in, in prior jobs, it allowed us to better understand our fellow human beings and how we get to be where we are in terms of how we think and process the news. Sometimes people will have an opinion that they've never really interrogated before because no one has asked them mm-hmm. right. <laughs> their mind 
And then someone asks them to speak it out loud. And as they speak it, they're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> what I've been thinking don't make any sense. <laughs> I didn't realize how little it made sense until the words came out of my mouth. <laughs> or until I heard someone else share their experience. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Right? And having creating those spaces are going to get people to better interact with each other way more than forcing people to do it or saying, well, this is the policy. Um, the other thing that I recommend is good mental health and physical health care uh, plans, making them affordable in terms of co-pays or mm -hmm. lack thereof, because being a person with multiple marginalized identities is stressful, causes yeah. a lot of trauma, and all the research says it plays out in both our mental health and also our physical health. Mm -hmm. It's why Black people and LGBTQ plus people have worse heart conditions and, and, and other kinds of conditions related to stress and trauma. And then the, the final thing that I, I just want to add on to, um, so I didn't get a chance to say it earlier, is that every trans person is not going to be visibly trans and every trans person is not going to transition in your workplace. Yeah, very good point. Some trans people who are stealth are people who do not feel safe enough, whether it's your workplace or it's their church or synagogue or mosque or temple, or it's their community that they live in. Maybe it's their family where they, they don't want people to know about their experience in, in terms of their current gender identity and, and what they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. um, it's nobody's business unless that person wants to tell it. Right. But soon because no one transitioned on the job that you don't have transgender people that work for you. Um, you may have folks who pass, as we say, as we call it, or identify, you know, our stealth, um, who you may never know identify as trans, and they are still watching what you do and don't do and what you say and don't say, mm -hmm. and whether your company takes part in pushing back against these anti-trans policies they're gonna be paying attention to it. And whether you keep that really good employee for the long-term, whether you know they're trans or not is gonna be because of how you show up or don't show up. Yeah. Or that employee whose kid is trans and you have no idea that their kid is trans or that their parent is trans. And they're the, your rock star employee that you're like, oh, this person's gone. We gonna, this person, we gonna have them for 20 years. They're amazing, we got them on you know, the be here for a wild track is what I call it. <laughs> and they see that you don't show up for their trans kid or loved one or for them. They're going to remember that. And that person you thought you had that was going to, that was your superstar in your company will leave. Mm -hmm. Because you didn't know who you were talking to and what experiences they were bringing to the table. So act as though your whole organization is filled with trans people. And you'll never have to worry about having the kind of environment that's going to be welcoming to a new one. Those are excellent. Those are all excellent. There's really hardly anything to add, but, but I would just add, you know, I work uh, in DEI space under the belongingness theory. Everybody belongs at work. We live in a capitalist society. Everybody has to work. Not only are there trans people looking at you and how you treat other people, but everybody's looking at you and how you treat other people. And this is a different society than when I started work, where it didn't matter how you treated people, although it should have mattered, but it didn't. <laughs> Yeah. And so everybody is now looking at you. That's why we have the great resignation or the great 
redesign of how people want to work now. People are more concerned about how they're treated in the workplace. And so they're looking at you and how you treat other people. And so they feel like if you're treating someone poorly, then you're going to treat them poorly. They are looking at you to determine if that's a place where they wish to work at, if they're trans or not. And Victoria hit the rest. And so it was, did it so well. And, uh, and it is especially about people who are stealth or don't necessarily identify because I do it as uh, an advocate, but most people, when I walk down the street, have no idea that I'm trans. And a lot of times I'll just do it as a test pilot to see how people are treating trans people and never come out uh, because if they don't look me up, they don't know. But Uh it's very it's very important to not assume or to talk on behalf of other people as to what their identities are. I think that that is the whole key is to treat everybody well in the workplace. And then you will keep people because as a business student or a professor, Uh, your most valuable resource are employees. Uh They cost you the most to train. They cost you the most to keep. And a wise employer gets that. Unwise employers don't get that. And then it costs you a lot to replace them. And then you're paying benefits and so forth. Trans employees don't cost any more to keep than anybody else, but all employees cost a lot. So I would say that is the key and, and then do invest in your employees because you want to keep all your employees, but treat people well is the bottom line. And then you will maintain your most valuable and costly resource. And if you don't do that, then you're going to lose them. And that's what we're seeing during the great so-called resignation mm-hmm. that's happened. People got away from the workforce. They work from home and they're like, wow, it doesn't have to be like it was where I was working at. And, that, and they're like, it, it can be different. And that's why you see people at Amazon uh, unionizing, mm-hmm. people at Starbucks unionizing, because they realize that they have power And it's back like it was in the 1970s, which some people don't know about. And they think, oh, we're reinventing. But it's like history reinvents itself because employees do have power. And companies now are figuring that out because employees have always held power. So I will let it rest there because Victoria hit on such great notes. But that's the one last reminder I'll give employee uh, employers is that employees do have power. That's uh, the great thing about it. So I just want to thank Victoria and Carlos so much for joining us today and for giving us some great perspective on uh, where are we, where we are with when it comes to transgender rights, particularly in um, the Black and people of color community also doing a great job of providing resources to both employers and employees around how to create more positive uh, work environments for uh, transgender individuals um, and how to become more prepared for the labor market if you're a particular transgender youth, particular transgender youth of color. So Victoria, how can we find you in your organization? Certainly. You can learn more about the National Black Justice Coalition by visiting our website at www dot nbjc.org and you can also follow us on youtube twitter and facebook at nbjc on the move okay thank you so much uh, we'll, we'll definitely share that information in the show notes and i hope everyone enjoyed this episode and talk to you all soon thanks for having us 
Thanks for listening to the Worker Experience Podcast with your host, Edgar Jassy. This episode was produced by Alea Arison and edited by Haikun Wang. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Workplace Fairness, you can follow us on all major social media platforms. If you would like to donate to Workplace Fairness, please head to the link in the show notes or text write at 53555 to give. Thanks again and hope you tune in next time.